welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello and welcome to DevCast, Devil Smith's audio series which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with, pres- with professionals of the property industry. My name's Andrew Devil Smith, I'm CEO and founder of Devil Smith and today I'm joined by a man who injected the London property development scene with a unique sense of style, finesse and innovation. CEO and, found- and founder of Manhattan Loft Corporation, the legendary Harry Handelsman. Harry, I'm not sure if you know, but um, I'll tell you right now, before my intro is over, you're my favourite developer London's ever seen. So I'm really flattered to be here in this amazing penthouse apartment, which you're going to tell us all about in a minute, I'm sure. Um, Can I thank you for joining me? I really, really appreciate you doing this. uh, Delighted. It's good to see you. You know, I think think the joy of... uh, of this sort of lockdown, now that we're no longer, no longer lockdown, one can actually get in touch with old friends. Well, you're, you're, you're too kind. So, Harry, I always ask people these types of questions. Tell me about life before real estate. Tell me, if you, as far back as you can go, that, that's what interests me most. Right. Um, I think life before real estate wasn't... Uh, I'm not saying that real estate was, is my DNA because, of course, I wasn't born with real estate. But I, I just like, I like things, be it art, be it buildings, be it cities, be it mountain, etc. So I'm quite visual, you know, I look at things. And, um, you know, I went to school, did, you know, studied economics, did a general BA, you know, not, nothing, nothing particular. And, you know, after, after a while you sort of start looking, what is it that you can do? What is it that you want to do? And what is it where you can, what, that you can have ambitions about? And what happened was, you know, real estate happened, didn't really happen by design, it happened more by accident. In the early 80s or mid 80s, you know, I, I came to London, a city that I learned to love very quickly. I, th- I, I love its diversity, I love, I love the culture, I love, you know, I love its openness. And albeit in the 80s, there was probably a lack of restaurants at the time in terms of where you want, not a lack of restaurants, but where you wanted to eat, but there were some great ethnic restaurants. But, I th- but it, it, had a, it had a city, it was a city with a spirit. And I became involved with a company that was looking for some financing to acquire and convert churches and do certain conversions. And I liked the guys and I decided to back them. And you know, at the time I probably spent two or three days in 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 London. You banked them personally or professionally? You? I, I was, you know, I was uh, acting on behalf of a family trust. Okay. You know, the, I met them, nice guys. I liked their spirit. I liked what they were doing, and I decided to back them. And obviously, by virtue of me, I became more and more involved in the day-to-day life of London, you know. It, as an investor, initially you come, you look at investment and then you leave. But over time I decided to come and to settle here. And I was doing that and then um, unfortunately for them, 
the crash came in the, la in the, in the late 80s, and they were a victim of the crash, and, uh, and some of my investments were in incomplete. So I had to come here and. That's the coolest and, uh, tone I've heard on a podcast. And give it a more, you know, and, and, and manage my investments. So that's what I did. And um, over time, I was, I was starting to look, what else can I do? And in, early, in the early 90s, when the crash was sort of at its zenith, um, I was introduced to a property in Clapperwell, and I decided to bring a concept that I was familiar with from New York, loved living to London. And that's how it started. So why, why, why lofts? Yes, I saw an opportunities, but having said that, in the early 90s, nothing was sold. I mean, most of London was for sale, I suppose nothing was being built. But I had a passion for what, for what I wanted to do, and I thought lofts were something that could be quite interesting. I also was slightly perplexed by the fact that Londoners got into the habit of living in the villages that were sort of outside the center of town and I never quite understood the sort of desire to commute, you know, to live in beautiful places, but not in the core. I mean, the only th place where people lived and worked was uh, Mayfair. You know, you had residential and you also had commercial. But I think in many other places it was either commercial and identified as seen as a commercial property or, or residential. And I never quite understood that. And I simply said, this, is, this doesn't make sense. And uh, when an opportunity in Clarkenwell came up, which was more of a commercial area, but it had a fantastic infrastructure in terms of, it was known as Little Italy, the area, because of the territorials, the market, the pubs, and everything else. I figured, wow, you can actually live in town as opposed to new to town. And let's try to do that. But I had to come up with a novel concept because, frankly, the whole city was in recession. So to, to build what was typical didn't make any sense because you could buy something uh, that was repossessed at a fraction of the price it would cost to build. So that's what happened. You know, we started the loft and then we started the loft revolution. You know, when I first came to London, people didn't have a clue. A loft was an attic in a house. And I called it Manhattan Love Corporation because I wanted to give an identity to the loft so people shouldn't think of building attics, but I'm actually building buildings. And I called it Manhattan Love Corporation. And at the time, many people asked me, what is a Manhattan Love Corporation? And it was sort of at the time where a film called Philadelphia and Ghosts, and those films just came up. And those took place in loft. And I told them, have you seen those films? And many people had it. That's what I'm building. I'm going to bring to London. Philadelphia and hmm? what was the other movie? Uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, Ooh, one of my favourite yeah. movies. So this was when? Just give me a, a year. Ninety-two. Ninety-two. And tell me about the building. How big was it? How many? So units? the building was the building was used initially when it was built in the twenties. It was a building where uh, as Many people know Clarkenwell, Stroke, uh, Fleet Street, it was where all the newspaper industry was at the time. And newspaper, the, the, the press required ink. Yeah. And this is where they, they created the ink. And what, it, what does that mean? In order to get the best type of ink, you need natural light. So it was the building that has at the, at the time the most proportion of natural light 
to 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 windows that you could possibly that you were allowed to build because the more natural light you have, and it's natural and it's a northern light as well. That is what gives you the actual quality of the ink. So that is where the ink was being made for the newspapers which were on the corner. And obviously that happened many, many years before. And eventually it was kept as an industrial building, etc. And uh, it came up for, for an auction. I saw it, so I had these amazing spaces. It was actually designed by the architect who designed the center court at Wimbledon. You know, so there was a bit of pedigree from the from a marketing perspective. You commissioned this architect. Sorry. The, originally, the original building was the original building. The center court at Wimbledon originally. He also designed it. So 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 it had a feature. It was it was it was it, you know it was big, fabulous, and kind of wonderful. And I want, when I went, when I walked into it, I simply said, "This is a building that I must have." So it's the love of the building, and it's the love of the opportunity, loft living. Came first. I wanted to acquire the building, and then, um, you know, you need to come up with an idea once you acquire the building. I didn't have the wealth to just to leave it empty. And even if I would have been wealthier, I probably would have converted to a museum for the YBA, the young British uh, artists who were exploding at the time. And I probably would have been far richer because it probably would have given me a lot of the art <laughs> in order for me to show to the wider public. And I would have had an amazing art collection that is probably worth many, many more, a lot more money than I had, but I didn't have to. Something space. tells me you've got an amazing art hmm? collection. Something, so, something tells me your art collection. I collect art. I was lucky enough that I know some, right, some of the right people, so I was able to buy them time. So um, I guess, tell me about the mistakes you made, your first proper development project. What, what, looking back all those years, what, what did you get wrong? I mean, I, I'm not going to be specific. I think, I think what is important, my attitude to development is adding value. I, look, I don't look necessarily at the bottom line. I don't look how cheap I can do it, how, how, how quickly can I get rid of it, etc. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's abnormal in, in, the, in the property industry because in the property industry, you know, are, many of the companies are, have shareholders. I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, you know, it is a, uh, a family trust. Many have shareholders who are responsible for the shareholder, but, but what, I, what I want to do is I want to create something that I can really feel proud of. And, you know, I've done deals with partners, and this sort of passion for building is, is not something that is that usual. And often partners simply say, well, Harry, I don't think we need to do all of that. And then compromises start creeping into the development. And occasionally, um, you know, uh, it's not quite. I, right. I recognize and I respect my partner, so therefore, one does things that one doesn't necessarily want to do initially. I mean, I had a friend of mine who I'm still an amazing good friend with that uh, we looked at a property. I invited him to come in to participate. He liked the idea. After several months, he told me, You know what, Harry? Honestly, I want to do a new build over here instead of the existing building. And I said, well, I like the building, I want to do, uh, I want to convert existing buildings. I said, no, I think it's a bad idea. So I said, so what are we going to do? I said, well, Harry, I don't want to have a falling out with you. You can either buy me out or I'll buy you out. 
And I thought it's quite interesting. I invite you to become my partner. And then, but you know, I told you respect. You shouldn't do what you don't want to do. I brought Barbara up. I mean, the, the you know the prophet time was negligible, but uh, that I gave him. So it was it was alright. And we developed it. And and uh, just to give you a concept at the time when we completed the building, we led it to McCann Erickson, the advertising firm. We got forty pounds a foot when the average in the area was 26. And the reason McCann Erickson bought it, not because they're stupid, because they recognized a building like that they wouldn't get. And it would be hard to emulate it by doing a, a, a new building. So sometimes that passion actually leads to, um, to uh, good say. results. I mean, added to that, you know, in the industry, when people to refer to Harry Handelsman, you know, I'm old and I've been in this doing, I've been done, doing this for a long time. Um, people usually covet Harry Handelsman, you know, with, with respect, but also with sort of criticism. You know what the problem with Harry is? That his labors are labors of love. Which a euphemism, they don't really make money. Uh, you do them because you're in love with what you're doing, as opposed to you. It's co it's not that commercial. And I, you know, there's a smart people that say that, and they say it, they say it frequently, or at least they used to say it frequently, and they respect that, and I agree with them. But I, what I say from from love, from passion, sometimes you get results. Often you get results because it's uncompromising. And yes, it might not look commercial initially, but I think if you're able to uh, give it a bit of a medium term, as opposed to a short term longevity, you do get results. And, you know, I, I think I've proven it time and time, time again. Does that make me the biggest developer? Could have done a lot more? Of course. I started early when I did my first development of 26 apartments. I was the biggest developer in London of residential development because none but I was the only one. The only other residential developments that were happened at the time no, residential, but student accommodation. Why? Because there was no market. So I was in, in it rel relatively early in 92, and I was offered lots of opportunities. But as far as I was concerned, you know, if it's just to, to offer accommodation, I'm proud of what I do. I love the city. I want to do things for the city that actually make it a greater place, as opposed to just creating homes for people to live there. I've got plenty of friends, competitors that do this and probably do it far better than I. <laughs> okay, so we go from Clark and Well in '92. What's the next major milestone that you look looking? Oh, back? They, they, they came fast and furious. So there was Clark Well in '92. Afterwards, we did. I did a joint venture with uh, Barclay Homes did you? in um, Riven in Vacourt, which was uh, kept water selling the headquarters building. It was actually a good partnership. Um, Tony did far better out of it than, than I did because he, he developed a, a partnership with Thames Water and they did many, many other development. But it worked well. Then I did, then I did uh, um, water, I, I did um, Soho Lofts, then I did Bankside Lofts, which is a stunning building, which got in a fabulous uh, ground floor uh, <laughs> office space, which uh, I will only like to people that I love. How's and worth were in it, and uh, for and listeners, how he's how he's how he's doing, trying to do a deal with me. In fact, I want trying to do a deal with you. So, 
I don't know. I mean, why. the great thing with Andrew is he's probably one person that has done numerous deals and have spent a lot of money and so far haven't sold or let them amount of flat <laughs> <laughs> that you thought we were going to do. But you know what happened is, despite all of that, he's, he's great and he's amazingly good in his business. And not only this, is he good in his business as, a, as a, uh, someone who's relatively novel. He's probably also quite good at, uh, at getting the right people to do his podcasts. I'm not sure why he made a mistake by us speaking to me, but there we go. Oh. He's all entitled to make a mistake. Let's talk about Tony Pidgey for a second, if you don't mind, because yeah. sadly he passed away yes. 10 days ago, two weeks ago, and I didn't know you were a joint venture partner of his. You so. were JB partners, and you know, I love the guy. Um, at the end of the day, um, uh, we had to almost, we had, a, we had a slight disagreement on something. Um, as, as it happened, this time he was wrong and I was right. But he sort of reluctantly paid. But he also asked, Carrie, can we give some money to charity because I lost and can I give some of my money to charity? And I said, you know what, that's a fair thing. I'm happy to, to donate some of it to charity as well. Really? Yeah. But you know, I always had a great deal of respect and we've been friends and, uh, you know, not intimate, but I greatly respect him. He, he, he was a man with a vision, he understood what he was doing, he had the ambition, he had the, the know-how, and I think, I think it was, certainly, he was a real asset to the industry. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Who else do you look at worldwide? Because I know you, tra yeah, you, not recently, but you've, you've traveled, you've told me you own property in South America. I know, I know you have a daughter in New York, I think. Yes. Um, Israel, I know you visit very often. In the mountains, you have a nice place. I'm yet to be invited or ski with you, but... Well, I tell you, the people that I have a great deal of respect for, and those are the proper people that sort of got me, got me interested. When I was studying, in, uh, when I was at university, and um, I was a kid, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, or whatever, no, 19, I was a kid, and um, I got myself a summer job. And my summer job was, I became the chauffeur for Mr. Reichman, old Mr. Reichman, of Olympia, New York. And he was a very orthodox Jew, super charming. And I became a chauffeur. By the way, uh, it didn't last very long because I also chauffeured his wife. And um, after about a month, the job was going to last about eight weeks, um, I, she was in the car and we were stopped by the police uh, for speeding. <laughs> <laughs> I offered to pay for the fine, but somehow I lost my job as a sub, as a consequence of that. But what was quite interesting is when I was when I when I was uh, his chauffeur is, and at the time the Reichman family was globally known to be about the third, fourth, fifth richest family in the uh, in the world. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, billionaires in the seventy. It's not you know enormously rich. And I told him, look, I'm just starting my career. You know, you are the most one of the most successful people that I've ever come across. I mean, that anybody's come across, or your family, the entity is. What's the secret for your success? 
And he told me, Harry, the secret for myself is really very simple. So what is it? Do you know what it is? It is 7% brain and 93% luck. He said, heaven forbid if I would have to rely 8% on my brain. And you know what? And I took it to heart, and frankly speaking, certainly my life has been much more circumstantial than, you know, nothing was by design. I was, I was going to build, build this building here, or even though I was going to end up living in London, or I was going to do some pancreas. All the things sort of happened. So by me, you know, maybe uh, today it's, it's bad luck to be in the business that I'm in, i.e. hotels, etc. but I'm not complaining. So that was my lesson, but I think the other lesson that I learned about the Reichman was the absolute dedication to quality. You know, um, people have often, when, you know, there was a time I was interviewed quite often, and people asked me, you know, who do you respect in this industry? Who do you really respect in this industry? I mean, a lot of people I respect, but who made a difference? And, you know, my comment about development, and not just in the UK, but all over the place, in the last 20 or 30 years, it's not about quality, it's about massing and revenue. That's what it is as a rule. The people that were out of this world were the Reichmans. When they built Canary Wharf, the spaces, the public areas, the money they spent, the fact that, you know, they imported mature trees, as opposed to letting trees grow. All that, 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 that cost millions, it, it, that wasn't cheap. But the recognized quality will bring the right, part, the right party. And yes, Canary Wharf and they went bankrupt through it, but that's because they were, you know, they were promised uh, um, uh, connections, you know, in terms of cube, it didn't happen, the Jubilee line didn't happen on time. And I don't know if that's the only reason, I'm sure they made some mistakes as well, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for them. But they were certainly visionaries in terms of what they did. And they created some of the most amazing spaces in New York, in the States, in Canada, etc., and globally. And I think to me, it's, it's something, somebody certainly looked, looked, that I personally look and admire for their tenacity in, on, on quality. Okay, so when I grow up, I want to be you, right? This is, this is um, my game plan. Hotel owner, operator, um, so we'll, we'll talk about your hotels in a second, if that's right, but, well no, let's start with your hotels, which one came first? So Kings, the first one came was, was Western Yukin. Right. Okay. I developed Western Yukin, near Canary Wharf, yeah. I had a hotel partner yeah. called MWB, who no longer, who, who no longer <coughs> exists, they were my hotel partners, I was responsible for the residential, unfortunately, you know, and uh, they, they wanted to sell the hotel. I wanted to keep it, and in retrospect, we should have kept it because obviously the values exploded. But they were my hotel partners, fair enough. Uh, we sold the hotel. Following the hotel, following uh, Western UK, uh, where, which is a Marriott, um, I developed, uh, I refurbished and up St. Pancras initially as a small partner with Whitbread doing just the lofts, but Whitbread uh, pulled out of the hotel, so I took it over. And then we developed the firehouse together with Andre Balash, who also got a passion for design and excellence, and I complimented on, on him on that. And then eventually I wanted to do something 
whereby I take control for everything. I developed uh, the Stratford, which is a hotel in a residential block. And for me, I think it's very much a way of living, a, a lifestyle for the future. Long-term stay, short-term stay, come stay for days, come, come stay for month, come stay for year, or buy and live here forever. And the whole thing is to try to build a community in an amazing building that people would really enjoy living here. And since Corona, actually, the one thing about Corona, it acted as a catalyst for this community to interact because they're kind of locked here together and they've got these fantastic gardens, you know, three of them, public, which are really very beautiful, but they used that and it became as a catalyst for interaction. I asked a lady, uh, you don't know this, but I came up in the lift and there was a lady pushing a child, a young child, probably one years old, and I asked her, I said, do you live here? She said, yes. I said, do you like it? And she said, I love it. I said, why do you love it? She said, because of the community. Oh, good. I'm delighted. And I think, I think, I think what it didn't very deliberately, you know, it's, it's child-friendly, but it's also pet-friendly. Because I think, I think in order to create something, everybody should be comfortable. And people that can't, I mean, it is luxurious. And, you know, some flats sell a rent for 10, 20,000 pounds a month. But, but if you don't, if, if, if your spirit is, I want to be a snob, and I don't want this, and I don't want to do that, and I want to cry, then I think you're probably the wrong person for the community. Let me ask you about the firehouse. Yes. It, like, it exploded onto the scene. When did it, when did it arrive? When did it arrive? It clearly, but uh, I mean... I, th I, think it was, I think it was 1902. Oh. <laughs> when did the hotel arrive? Okay. It but opened 2014. Was it really? 2014, the hottest place in town. Anybody who, who's anybody is in, in and out. Why, why was it so successful? Because I had a vision. I mean, why did they develop the firehouse, first of all? What, what, what was the reason that behind the firehouse? Because I never understood, or I was bewildered, that destinations for Londoners in that part of town were all south of Oxford Street. You went to Mayfair, some people went to Soho, some people went to Knightsbridge. And I never understood why in Marlborough, couldn't be, be something. Yes, there was the church, and that's not a destination, that's not cool, that's not fun. I mean, it's very functional, it worked, and so it's a landmark. But to sort of bring a place that is cool, sexy, and interesting. And when the firehouse was, was, was presented to me, introduced to me, I actually fell in love, and I wanted someone who's got a passion to do something and to do it right. And, you know, I, I've known Andre because we tried to buy the currency hotel to do a, um, to do, for, uh, we wanted we wanted to do a standard from the Corinthia, but we were outbid, so we didn't get it. And then when the firehouse was introduced to me, is is I was going to do it potentially somebody else, but then I figured uh, I called up Andre and said, "Listen, we might have lost the jewels by not getting the Corinthia, but I found the gem." And he came over and he liked it. And what's the relationship uh, structure now? Is Andre still involved as well? Andre is very much involved. He, he, he manages it, and my husband's firm manages it. And uh, we have some other shareholders, and we're all shareholders, and we're all excited, committed, and delighted with the result. It's, it's, um, I've never not had a good time there. Sir? I've never not had a good time there. Do you mean you usually have good, bad times in other places to go to? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and they're not owned by you. But um, no, it's amazing. And 
King's Cross. Tell me that story. Well, King's Cross is not. It's really the St Pancras story, you know. King's Cross was was the place I wanted to avoid. St Pancras is just a stunning, stunning, stunning building that fell completely in disrepair. And you know, having been familiar what happens with buildings in disrepair when they when they're done without uh, tender loving care, they normally become a bad image of what what they once were and I really felt here was an opportunity to to recreate something that is the most phenomenal building in the UK or one of the most phenomenal buildings. Many people consider one of the five most important listed uh, buildings in the UK and uh, it was an enormous challenge you know we didn't understand what it is we, t- we, did, we made all the appropriate um, inquiries you know we you know we we did all the checks and everything else but I, I sh- but once we started with um, once we started with um, the refurbishment or the uh, the demolition uh, it, it was just it was fun it was it became a real challenge but you know we persisted and we continued and we carried on and frankly speaking probably you know one of the privileges of my life is to to have restored something like that and there were and it and i went through very very challenging times and really one of the things that really kept me going uh, was the respect that i got for gilbert scott architect you know i figured what he do, what he did over here, all the details, everything else, it deserves to be um, looked after. It 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 deserves to become not only a nineteenth century gem, but a twenty first, twentieth, and twenty first century gem. Which one's been the toughest to complete of all of your? Amazing back catalogue. I mean, the, I mean, the, I mean, St. Pancras was tough. Was tough. St. Pancras was a, was a real challenge because you know the cost just escalated beyond belief, and despite them escalating, I had to invest much more money into it in order to get the criteria of quality that I wanted. Because you know, as you become involved, you recognize opportunities, possibilities, and everything else. So yes, you can cut your expense and leave it. But as far as I'm concerned, if I wouldn't have spent that extra money, I wouldn't have done this gem justice. So I, we, you know, so, you know, having the legs and probably most of my arms cut off, you know, I just consider, continued the journey and, 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 and uh, invested the, 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 the rest in order to get that. So that was super, super challenging. But you know what happened? the amount of accolades and the importance and the satisfaction that one gets out of it is worth worth effort i think i know the answer to this question but i'm going to ask you of all of all of your buildings which one is the project you're proudest of you know what i am i'm as proud of my first one which was summer street which was 26 love which is still stunning which is still beautiful which is still go go by to, to Soho, we Soho loved. I mean, a true gem, and you know, the coolest people living there, penthouses that are really, really sweet, Bankside, remarkable, 
and then you know the, the firehouse you know a destination in its own right a real real destination of, of high qualities and pancreas and then also uh, Stratford and I mean what makes me proud of Stratford which I call Manhattan Garden originally was I see the future and I also see the people don't see it yet and but uh, I'm used to be sometimes ahead of my time because I believe this building is going to set um, I think it's I think it's going to become very much a blueprint for the future of high-life living and if it isn't it isn't the mistake of the building it's the lack of appreciation but I think p people do appreciate quality so I'm not worried I don't see how anyone could not appreciate this place <laughs> it's uh, we've been talking about it for years and it's the first time I've been inside and it's it's absolutely stunning so um, <clears throat> what's next I think what is next is you know we're living with Corona I've got hotels that are closed hopefully some of them are gonna open next week I've got people that are on furlough hopefully quite a few will come back unfortunately not all of them it's challenging times but I think um, what it has done is, you know, you can live your life and simply say, well, you know, hey Harry, nobody count on corner, so let's simply relax, chill out, enjoy the life that you have, because why bother? Or I decided to shed 30 years of my life and have the energy of a young person in order to, to look at the future and be be challenged by it and make a success of what I have. So that you're in the midst of that decision? No, I've made my decision. What's the decision? This decision is, you know. Keep going. I decided to shut, haven't you recognized that, uh, you know, you know, I, I've had a facelift, I've had a body lift, I decided to change my passport. You know, I don't even know how old you are, but you're not going to tell me, are you? Hmm? I'm 70. Are you really? Yeah. You're still disco dancing every night. No, no, I do it only three times a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if you were, on a serious note, if you were to go out in London, if we were to go out tonight and, and you were paying, <laughs> right. where would we go? I don't know. Uh, I heard McDonald's does some amazing uh, vegetarian, vegetarian. But this is a true story. We went out for lunch. You very kindly took me. Oh, I know a little place. It's around the corner, a little sushi place. We get in there, we sit down, we order some sushi. To my left, one table is a nice pair, I guess, uh, you know, ladies having lunch, chatting away. And to my right, in walks a, f a pretty famous uh, pop star by the name of Harry Styles. And who's Harry Styles? Oh, hello, Harry. Hi, Harry. And you guys go and have a nice chat and leave me to eat my sushi. So you, so you enjoy your sushi? It's delicious. Yeah. I didn't want to disturb you. So we wouldn't go to McDonald's. I think, I mean, I think tonight, uh, today was... was, was you know, I think I think today, first of all, you know, London occasion does have the great weather. I I I I try to somewhere to eat outside. Yeah. You know, somewhere that's fun. You know, I think I think living east of London, I mean, there there's some really fabulous um, pizza places around the river in Hackney Wakes. I think they're fun. They're informal. They're they're great. So. That's something that is around the corner. I think the, good, the great thing about London, uh, I made earlier an illusion when I first came to London, there was nowhere to eat. 
Right now we're spoiled, it's yeah. fantastic restaurant. What is also interesting is, despite the lockdown and everything else, right now good restaurants are full, which is good. You know, I think it's important for the business. I think people like me and others have really suffered dramatically because of the lockdown and the closure of the businesses. And, and it's expensive to have a business closed. Yeah, I'm sure, and, and I hope Londoners flood back into your. If, if you'll ever let me have a table in one of your places, <laughs> I'd love to, you know. Happy to. Go. At, the moment, at the moment, if you refer to the flowers, they're close. No, no, anyway, any, any one of them. Um, Harry, if. If you try Lagra down here, it's fabulous. It's really. We, we, it was a master chef, the first master chef. It's, I mean, it's one of the best kitchens in London. Yeah. I'll show you on the seventh floor. You should, you should, generally, it's worth a trip. And if you tell me, Harry, I was disappointed, I'll refund you your meal. <coughs> um, okay, you're on. I won't tell you I'm disappointed, <laughs> but... <laughs> you have, as long as you're honest, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm having a very safe bet. Here's another question. So you've travelled the world, you own some of London, if not the world's coolest hotels. What hotel stands out as the best place to hang out? No, outside of your own. If we were to jump you know, on a plane, you know, you, you know, I think, I think, I think, the great thing about hotels is once upon once upon a time, in most instances, it was chains that create hotels. You know, it was the Hilton, the Marriott, the Hyatt, the this and that, and and they did it to a great amount. Today, there's so many individuals that are absolutely passionate about what it is they're doing, and frankly speaking. For me to sort of come up off the top, you know, I probably travel three times a year and there, there, there's some amazing hotels. Because today hotels, the function of hotel is where you feel great. It's also the reason you go somewhere. I mean, if you go to a city or if you go to nature, they're, they're, they're very different kind of criteria. It's also the people that come to hotels. But I think it would be, it would be, I couldn't think of a single hotel. I mean, I can tell you there's some amazing hotels. Uh, in, you know, in, in in the world, you know, where I've stayed and that are wonderful and that are great and I'm really enjoying them. But honestly, you know, they all have their own sort of sense of entertainment. You know, when I was in Los Angeles um, uh, earlier this year, you know, I, you know, I haven't been for a long time. You know, I stayed at um, I, I stayed at the Beverly Hills. Did you? You know. And frankly, I know exactly what to expect. They, but they read the room, they gave me a lovely, lovely suite, how would you suite, I think it was. But, you know, just the crowd, you know, going to Los Angeles and going down and seeing all, like you said, and, and it's kind of fun. Yeah. But then if you want something else, you go to Chateau Maman, you know. So, so they're all very, very different. Would I necessarily apply for me the Beverly Hills and Chateau Maman in a very different way? They suit the place. Do you understand? It, it, to me, Hotels, the, the, the beauty of hotels is don't try to become something because that's your vision. Try to adapt yourself to your environment. And if you do that well and, and recognize your clientele, and if you do that well, you'll be successful. And by the way, that can be from a one, five, one star to a five star. I don't, think you, I don't think you have to be, just because you're a one star hotel, yeah. you have to be bad. I don't think that's the case at all. No, I'm, I totally agree with you. Okay. Which city would you pick if we were to jump on a plane? You love London, but any city in the world to go and spend a weekend. 
I'd spend a weekend. Disco dancing, you and me. Well, I mean, it, it could be, you know, it, it could be, it, it depending on the mood and depending on the weather. Again, you know, it's, it's you know, Italy's got, you know, you go to Venice, you go to Florence, you, you don't go wrong. You know, providing you don't have too many, too much, too many clouds, uh, you know, tourists around you. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to have a different kind of outing, you go to Berlin, and, and, and it's very different. If you want to, if you know, if you, if you want to see some some amazing beauty, and you go to Paris, and then New York is always an, a, a wonderful destination. I think, you know, I th I think I think I think what what is what is exciting to me cities that I don't naturally, you know that I don't naturally kind of connect with is a place like Singapore, for example, you know, Singapore to, to me has nothing much Asian about it, you know, I recognize the wealth, I recognize the cleanliness, I recognize the fact that you've got uh, uh, 45 Louis Vuitton shops within uh, 400 yards of each other, you know, and so from the, but there I think it's a little bit of a pity, you know, and this, the cities become commercialized and they, they lose their soul. For me, it's important that cities have sold. So, back to real estate. What what what's your next big bet? Whether that's asset class or. I think today it's super challenging. You know, I mean, the the, the business that is great, and you know, I'm lucky that I've got eating studios. Is obviously that industry. I think. I think. Uh, the UK is going to continue to go from strength to strength. So, what movies have been made on hmm? your in your studios? Well, all the Ealing comedies. Back in the day. Back in the days, and currently, loads of meaning. So, the the, the most recent one was um, Downton Abbey. I mean, not the most recent one. I think the famous Downton Abbey was. And there, there are loads of films. It's small, but it's cute, and it's got a real DNA. It's all the studio in the world, so it's got a, really? a, a super, a super DNA, and I think that that's a business that's going to grow. I mean, it's a business. I mean, obviously, um, you know, uh, logistic and those sort of things are very good, but it's it's not what I'm familiar with, you know, because everybody, you know, uh, uh, online shopping, etc., you know, require requires all kinds of warehousing, etc. So I'm sure there's the, the great opportunities there. I think. In terms of 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 conventional developments, um, do what you do and do it well. If you necessarily want to go into this industry, you don't have to rush. Um, Harry, I'm really conscious of your time, so I'm 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 going to move it on um, before before you jump on your bike and race across London. <laughs> Um, what advice, before I, we go into my fast and furious quick fire round, what advice would you have to those to, to young professionals looking to get into development? You said about Mr. Reichman, 7% brains, 93% luck. I mean, it it's more than luck, isn't it? Is it? What is it? I believe in luck. Honestly, I believe for me it has been more luck than brains. It really is. What people do, do give a, you know, I have young people working with me. And what I find fantastic is they're smart, they understand, and they're ambitious. And I think that's really what you need to do. Make sure that you work for a company that you, that you feel an association with. Don't, don't, you know, yes, you can take a job, and sometimes it might be useful you know, in terms of learning experience, but try to be passionate for what you do. And taking it back to my world for a second, talent. 
you know, what what do you think are going to be the most in demand skills or qualities? I think I think honestly, again, it's passion. It's really wanting to do certain things and 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 also enjoy it. You know, if if you have passion and joy, you'll succeed. I think that's amazing, and I couldn't honestly. It's I think that's the best advice. Mm. I've heard. I think uh, uh, spot on. My my career of studying success, I think, is those two things, mm. and a, and a work ethic as well. I'd probably throw in the mix. Um, right, you up for some quick fire questions, Harry? I don't want to intimidate you too much. <laughs> you don't look it. <laughs> Are yes or no answers? <laughs> <laughs> you, well, they've got to be okay, quick. Go that's I've got to go. go. Okay, right. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. I think I know the answer to the next one. Rooftop terrace or botanical garden? Rooftop terrace. Actually. Warhol or Da Vinci? Da Vinci. <laughs> Chandeliers or strobe lights? Hmm? Chandeliers or strobe lights? Chandeliers. Okay, and the final question, which we ask everybody who kindly joins a podcast with me. If you could own any building in the world, anywhere in the world, which building would it be and why? The White House. <laughs> Without hesitation, um, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, uh, Harry. I honestly, you're my favourite developer, London's. Uh, scene. Thanks for thanks Good for to see you. This. Come back again and enjoy Allegra. All it's right. worth it. Good man, thank you. You can join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrelsmith.com, and you will receive the latest Deadcast episode direct to your inbox.